Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today as we're starting a brand new series called Famous Last Words. Now, in movies and in history, we have all kinds of words that we remember people by. And the same is true when you look into the scriptures. There are words and phrases that we remember Jesus by. And so in the course of this series, we're going to be looking at some of these famous words that Jesus used. And we're not going to necessarily treat them in order, but we're going to definitely uh, address some of the big phrases that Jesus used. And for today, we're looking at the one that simply states, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. So let's dive in. Uh, if you turn with me to actually the book of Hebrews, uh, I know that this is after Jesus, of course, was crucified and ascended to heaven. But if you look at the book of Hebrews, there's something important that's taking place in there that gives context to Jesus's famous last word on the cross. So Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to read verses 11 and 12, and that's going to give us a bit of a framework to understand what we're doing today. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. And if you don't know where the book of Hebrews is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Here's what it says. Day after day, the high priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered all for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, that as we're looking into your word, that we gain a deeper understanding of who you are, a deeper understanding of who we are as we stand in relationship to you, and the implications of who you are and what it means to live like you, uh, how those plays out in our lives. And so, Lord God, would we be people who would... Uh, hear, would we see, would we understand, so that we could become more like you and impact the world for you. In your name I pray. Amen. So I'm just going to say this straight off the hop, and, and I think it's, you know this to be true, uh, but the truth is, is that every single one of us, you ready, has done something wrong. I know, shocker, right? Uh, but I think it's also safe to say that we've done things wrong that we didn't even realize were wrong when we did them. Um, here's an example of what I mean. When Janet and I were early in our dating uh, history, very early, I hadn't really met all of her friends yet. And so it was around Christmas time and we were invited to this get together from her friendship group. And in doing so, I, I was a little nervous. I mean, these are the people that she's been friends with throughout most of her high school days, and they were important to her. And so because they were important to her, I, I wanted to have a good impression. I, I wanted to um, not put her in a scenario that was going to make her life more awkward with her friends. And so we're invited to this Christmas get-together, and, and we get there, and it's very, very clear that the person hosting this get-together put an awful lot of effort into things. They, they certainly, they, they were very hospitable. They wanted to make sure everyone felt welcome. And, and so as everyone was walking into uh, her home, she handed all of us a glass or, yeah, a glass of hot apple cider. Now I, at that point, had never had hot apple cider. And, and I would say that uh, I had less of a filter in my mind in terms of what came out of my mouth and, and what was prevented from coming out of my mouth and all that kind of stuff. And so not much of a filter at all. And so we get in, she hands me this cup and I thought, hey, great. So I take a sip and I immediately, I was like, oh, what is this stuff? And you should have seen the expression on her face. 
I mean, she was clearly wounded. And, and I just felt horrible and it was apologetic and, and, and all this. But uh, I didn't realize that this wasn't a purchase thing. She made it from scratch. And I think that just made the offense all the worse, right? Because she's putting in all this effort to get this thing happening. And, and so I, I offended I, I, without wanting to, without needing to. I did it in ignorance to some extent. And, and so I think it's safe to say that all of us have a story like that. Here's another one. Uh, old Sunday school teacher of mine, him and his wife, they had had, had a child. And, uh, and I hadn't seen them in ages. And I didn't know that the baby was born. I think you can see where this might be going. So I met up with them in a mall one day. We just happened to run into each other. And, and I look at her and say, oh, wow, this is exciting. When are you due? Uh, three months ago. That was horrible. I had good intentions, but I still wrong them. So we do wrong things, sometimes with good intentions, sometimes out of just not having a filter. We, we, we do wrong things sometimes out of ignorance. And I think it's true of every single one of us. Well, here's the truth that I want us to understand uh, from Jesus' last words today. That Jesus forgives, but it's not enough to just leave it there. It's important for us to understand that He even forgives the sins we didn't realize we committed or are committing. Uh, and this is the truth. And if we understand this truth, then one of the things that happens for us is that we get a greater sense of security in our faith. Uh, and here's what I mean. Very often I come across, uh, even whether in my own life or in the lives of other people, this insecurity we have in coming to Jesus, this insecurity of coming to God. We seem to treat our relationship with God as some kind of performance-driven thing, like we got to clean up our lives before coming to God, and, and I got to take care of this before I can, Jesus can deal with me, and all that kind of stuff. But we do that on a regular basis, and so it creates this insecurity in coming to God. But if we understand that Jesus forgives the sins that we've committed that we know about, and He forgives the sins that we didn't even realize we did, I think that gives us a greater sense of security in coming to Him. There's a confidence that we can build because we know that whether we know about the sin or not, He forgives it. He's big enough to handle those things, and He initiates it. And I think that's important. I think another thing that happens is that it deepens our understanding of Jesus' commitment to His children. You know, when he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, look, they were doing it, and it was a horrible thing. And his commitment to saving us, his commitment to his love for us, is shown in the fact that he offers the forgiveness when it wasn't being asked for. His commitment to us is enormous. And I think another thing that comes along with that is that it actually offers us even a better way to handle forgiveness issues, because if we're to live like Jesus lived, then we got to forgive like Jesus forgave. And man, that, that's, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's a different bar that we, that we live by. And so these are all critically important things. So let's take a look at that passage where we're talking about what this famous last phrase was that Jesus used. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and then talking about the soldiers, it says they divided up his clothes and by casting lots. Now, I think one of the things that's important to recognize at this point is that this particular phrase is not in all of the ancient manuscripts, but it's enough in enough of them that it warrants placing it in the passage here, not just as a footnote below saying some passages or some manuscripts include verse 23, uh, sorry, verse 34. 
And so, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So Luke 23 tells us, in terms of his context, it tells us about the trial of Jesus. It tells us about punishment, mockery, and, and beating, and the crucifixion of Jesus. And so this is, a, this is a, a packed chapter within the Scriptures. And it starts off with Jesus being brought before Pilate. And, and Pilate doesn't find anything wrong with Jesus. Uh, he doesn't see that Jesus did any of the things that the uh, Jewish leaders were suggesting he did. And, and the Jewish leaders just kept imploring Pilate to do something with him. So finally, you know, like Pilate says, look, I don't find any, anything wrong with this guy. Uh, he learns that Jesus is from Galilee. And so then he sends him off to Herod Agrippa. Uh, and, and so he sends him out that way because Herod is the one who is in charge of that particular jurisdiction. And so they go out that way. Now, I think it's interesting to note that this is the same Herod that had Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, beheaded. So this is who Jesus is going to. And, and so Jesus goes to Jerusalem because that's where, sorry, Herod is in Jerusalem. Jesus goes before him. And Herod was pretty pumped about this. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see miracles from Jesus. And Jesus doesn't answer any of his questions. He doesn't deal with him in any way, shape, or form. And so finally, what we find is that Herod begins to mock Jesus and, and he puts this um, sash over top of Jesus and, uh, and just treats him terribly, doesn't really want to deal with him, sends him over back to Pilate. And so you got this ping pong match kind of thing going on between Pilate and Herod. And actually, we even find in the story that, that Pilate and Herod were enemies up until this point. And then in this, we find that they bury the hatchet, you could say, and they develop a friendship uh, surrounding this. And so, Jesus gets sent back to Pilate. Pilate still doesn't find anything wrong with Jesus. But in order to be able to appease the leaders and the crowd, uh, Pilate says, okay, I'm just going to, I'll punish him for you. And so he had him scorched. Now, this is where it gets really uncomfortable. And we can listen to the language of Jesus being mocked. And, and of course, we don't appreciate that. We don't, you know, we don't, it doesn't sit well with us. And we don't appreciate the ping pong match going on between Pilate and Herod and, and, and dealing, with, dealing with Jesus. But this scourging thing, like this is just a little thing. Like to scourge somebody, it was this brutal whipping. Uh, many strands of leather, and at the ends of each of these strands, there was either usually like a piece of metal, or there was bone, or there was a stone. And, and, and it rendered a person's back... Uh, the, the original Greek gives the, the idea that it was kind of like ground beef by the time that the person was finished being beaten like this. And it wasn't uncommon for somebody to, to die even in the scourging process. And so that tells you about the brutality of it. So Jesus survives this scourging and he's brought before the crowd and the crowd is allowed to choose between a guy by the name of Barabbas and, and Jesus. And Barabbas was a guy who was a thief, a murderer. Uh, he uh, solicited insurrections, right? Like he, he tried to raise riots. And the crowd ends up choosing Barabbas. And so Pilate, of course, he washes his hand of the whole deal. And, and then we find that Jesus going up to Calvary and the soldiers are mocking him and they spat on him and they drew straws and divided his clothes between them. And that's the background to what we come across in Luke 23 verse 34, because all of this stuff leads up to this. And in amongst all of this, the ping pong match, the mocking, the, um, the degradation, the, the spitting, the beating, the scourging, you find Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
mean, just think about that. This is a massive prayer because it acknowledges that Jesus wasn't going to hold them to this brutal action. Like he was seeking their forgiveness. Like even in the midst of what they were doing to him, he was interceding on their behalf to the Father. Father, forgive who? Them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. And he's interceding on behalf of the people that were doing these horrible things. It's amazing. And the evidence of that is found elsewhere in Scripture because you have, you have uh, in Acts 3.17, it says, Now fellow Israelites, is Peter talking, I know that you acted in ignorance. Listen, as did your leaders. You acted in ignorance and so did your leaders. This is Peter talking. And then Paul later on in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, it says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, listen, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so there was ignorance involved here. And Jesus is interceding on behalf of their ignorance. I mean, this is an amazing thing. We don't often think of it this way. We don't necessarily always look at that passage of Scripture and understand it for what it actually, in fact, is. Jesus is making an appeal to the Father as the high priest. And this is a big deal. Jesus is the high priest. The high priest offers sacrifice for the sins that everyone did. He made sacrifice for his own sins. He made sacrifice for the sins of Israel. And he made sacrifice for the known sins, but he also made, listen, sacrifice for the unknown sins, those sins that are done in ignorance. That's just what the high priest does. He makes sins for himself. I'm oh, sorry. He makes sacrifice for himself, sacrifice for the known sins, sacrifice for the unknown sins. And in this situation, Jesus is making sacrifice for the unknown. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hebrews 10, 11 to 18. I'm just going to read the whole section here, and we're going to walk it through a little bit. Uh, day after day, priest, the priest stands, or sorry, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat at the right hand of the Father, right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has, been, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them and their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so what we find in, in Hebrews, and Hebrews has this awesome uh, language in it that is basically Jesus is better. So he is a better sacrifice. He's a better temple. He's a better high priest and all of these kinds of things. And so in this idea of Jesus being a better high priest, there's this comparative language that takes place. So we find that, that Jesus' sacrifice ends all blood sacrifices. Ends it all. This is by one sacrifice, all of it is taken care of, and which is very different than the high priest of Israel at that point. Because the high priest of Israel had to make multiple sacrifices. And it says here, day after day and, and time after time, they're making these sacrifices. And Jesus does this once and for all. And then on, on top of that, we learn that not only is this just this idea that it's not, no longer... Uh, a thing that needs to happen with repetition, it is complete. 
It is once for all, it is complete. Hear me, complete. I think sometimes we live as if it isn't complete. We live as if we expect that Jesus is asking us to give more of these physical sacrifices. He's not. I mean, he's asking for obedience. He's asking for this love relationship between him and us. He's asking for us to be his followers, his disciples, and, and, and to continue the mission that he sent us on. But he's not asking for this sacrifice anymore. The salvation is complete at this point. We don't earn it. He already took care of it. And the high priest in Israel, the language there in, in, in Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 10, verse 11, is that day after day, the high priest, listen, stands and performs his duties. But Jesus does what he did, and he sits. And it's the idea that this is finished. It's the idea that whatever was needed was now taken care of. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And there's some benefits that come along with that. So for the believer, the believer's benefit is that it says that his sacrifice, right, is for those, and it is made perfect those who are being made holy. That's verse 14. And so what we have here is this idea, because I believe that Scripture interprets Scripture, is this idea that, that what happens when Jesus sacrificed for us, that we are being, that we are made perfect, those who are being made holy is this idea of the righteousness of Jesus being offered to us. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's what it says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so because of Jesus, we are considered the righteousness of God. God looks at us through the lens of the sun. It's complete. It is finished. And so that takes away this insecurity that we have. Verse 17 and 18 says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so when you come to Jesus and you seek forgiveness, you're forgiven. And when you're forgiven, there's no longer a need for sacrifice. It's done. I mean, what a benefit. What an incredible thing to know that we can come before the Lord and not be insecure. Not wonder whether or not He's going to forgive us. Not wonder whether or not He can deal with whatever stuff we're bringing to the table. He's got it. It's covered. It's done. That is amazing. And so that's a message kind of for non-believers in that context. But it's also, there's something going on for non-believers here as well. We, we see that in this particular passage that he says uh, in, in verse 12, but when this priest has offered all for all time one sacrifice for sins, listen, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. That's an interesting statement. Like, why would he wait? What's the deal there? And so again, you look at other scriptures and you say, okay, how does this play out? Like, what does this mean? What does this look like? Romans 5, 8, I believe it tells us that Jesus in his waiting uh, is evidence of his love for us, but, but his sacrifice was obviously evidence of his love for us. It says, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we know that 
the language of while we're still sinners is the idea that while we were enemies of God, while there was separation between us, like Jesus acted on our behalf. And so there's something going on that represents the love of Jesus, even in the midst of this. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. It doesn't happen immediately. And I believe that part of that is the act of love. Part of it is also that there is this desire in waiting that he has that we find in 2 Peter 3, 9. For the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as somber in the understanding of slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So why does Jesus wait for his enemies to become his footstool instead of just making it happen right away? I think that God wants that nobody should perish. I mean, I truly believe that from 2 Peter, we, we see that. He wants no one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in order for that to happen, Jesus has to be patient. In order for that to happen, Jesus needs to wait. What an incredible encouragement for non-believers to know that the Creator of all things waits for them. Like He doesn't want you to be separated from Him. He waits. What an amazing thing to know. But I think it's also true that we got to look at this from this perspective, and that is that if we choose to continue to remain His enemies, then we're going to be humbled and we're going to be set at this, as this footstool under His feet. And so I did some research to figure out, okay, what exactly does that mean to be His footstool? Because, I mean, that's not a language we use nowadays, right? And we don't talk about, you know, you're going to be my footstool. Well, what does that mean? So if you look at a dictionary Bible imagery, it's the idea of having like ultimate victory over one's enemies, that they're beneath you. and um, It's this defeat um, of the enemies, right? And you place them under the rule of that which is in authority. And in this case, it's referring to Jesus. Romans 14, 11 says it this way. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. Philippians 2, 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And this is that language of Jesus' rule, his authority, and his enemies being brought under his feet and becoming his footstool. And this is incredible stuff. I mean, this is just the, the truth of what's actually there. The truth is that there's benefit for the believer. The truth is that there's this loving Savior waiting for His enemies to turn from being enemies to being children and, and followers. And yet at the same time, there's the recognition that, look, if you choose not to do this, it's your choice. But just know that one way or another, you're going to recognize that Jesus is, in fact, Lord and King. And so we got the believer's confidence in this, right? Like Hebrews 10, 19 and 25. In verses 19 to 25, we see, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have um, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to be cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, we can freely come to Jesus with peace, with absolutely anything we've done. You need to understand this. There is no sin so big that Jesus can't deal with it. And you can't clean yourself up in coming to Him. You come to Him and you get cleaned up. 
That's how this works. That's the math of it. And so we come to Jesus with the things that we know that we've done, but I think it's important that we come to Jesus and we, and we acknowledge in our prayer time, Lord, you know what? I just have no idea if there's anything in my life that I need to repent of, but you do. And so because you know what's going on here that I don't even know, forgive me. Forgive me for the sins that I've committed that I don't even realize I've committed. And both are being dealt with. The sins that we know about, the sins that we don't know about, Jesus deals with them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. High priestly prayer from Jesus, taking on the things that we didn't even realize we were doing. And for the non-believer, we find again Hebrews 10, 17, this idea that, listen, when, when you come to Him, then, then your sins, the, this idea of the lawless acts, He's not going to remember them anymore. Like your past doesn't become your present or your future. When you come to Jesus, He's like, okay, you did that, great. We're, you're forgiven now. It's not that it's not a big deal. This is massive, but you are forgiven. And you're not bound by this anymore. And then you're going to have implications to these things. They're going to have impact on your life. And we're going to walk it forward. We're going to walk it through. You're going to figure out whatever it is that needs to get figured out. But you are no longer in judgment over these things. You're free. But only when you come to Jesus with it. Only when you come to Jesus with it. And so in this, if Jesus is the better high priest, then I think it's also safe to say that Jesus has a better way. For the believer, in the better way of Jesus, we're told in 1 John 2, 6, that those who claim to live in Jesus must live as Jesus lived. Those who claim to live in Christ must live as Christ lived. Man, that's massive. I mean, there is this call on us to live as Jesus lived. And in doing so, I mean, I recognize that this is not a simple thing. I mean, Jesus lived a life in a way that that's just hard. But if we're to live as He lived, then I think it's also safe to say that we need to forgive as He forgave. I think that may be one of the harder ones. You know, we have this, this mentality that I'll forgive when the person asks for forgiveness. Um, but what if they don't realize they did anything? Then what? Is going to stay angry? Or like Jesus on the cross, do we forgive the things that people don't realize they were doing? Is that what we do? I think it is. Yeah, and it's hard because we're hurt, we're angry, we're offended. And, and, and to some extent, we, we, we're more interested in getting that justice for ourselves than we're concerned with the forgiveness that that person needs. But if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we got to forgive like Jesus forgave. And that's completely different than what our culture tells us, right? And so that's where we have the tension. We live in a world that tells us one thing. You don't need to forgive everybody for what they did. You don't, um, don't, don't forgive people who haven't asked for forgiveness, all those kinds of things. But Jesus initiates all of it. Nobody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, forgive me for what I'm doing to you or what I have done to you, what we find is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. He intercedes for them. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He initiated the forgiveness. And I think it's appropriate for us to initiate forgiveness. There's something freeing that takes place when we do that. We're not bound to that anger, that hurt, that offense anymore. We've released it because we've forgiven I think it's also safe to say that for the non-believer, there's something significant taking place here too. 
in terms of a better way. For the believer, we're to live like Jesus lived. And in this particular context on the topic of forgiveness, we're to forgive like Jesus forgave. And for the non-believer, there's a massive better way. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Listen, not to suffer wrath. Look, it's like the design wasn't for us to be going to hell. Like that wasn't His plan. That's not the design. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, this is euphemisms for being alive and being dead, whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. So you need to understand that God's plan for you, that God's plan for you was always relationship. It was always, always, always to be with Him, whether it was in the garden and whether it's through salvation through Jesus Christ. The plan has always, always, always been to be with Him. So no, He's not this angry, maniacal being. He is the self-sacrificing, creator of all things, absolute creative genius who desires relationship with you. And this offer... It gives us this ultimate peace and confidence with Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to close with this. I have an action item for those of you who would call yourself a follower of Jesus. And I got an action item for those of you who would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Now, the action item for the believer, okay? This is myself included. This week, this is big. Forgive someone. Forgive them. Deal with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. I'm not saying get over it. I'm not saying it's not an issue. I'm saying initiate the forgiveness. Yeah, there's going to be emotion to process afterwards. That's okay. You can process emotion. Choose to forgive. Jesus initiated forgiveness. And we are called to be like Jesus. Forgive someone this week. I know it'll be hard. You might even feel like you're going against the grain. Forgive. And then begin to process the emotions that come along with that forgiveness. And for the person who's not a believer, if you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, why not? Like, absolutely, why not? You have heard so many things about what the world says about who God is, but have you ever taken time to just take a moment to understand who God says He is for Himself? His plan for you was not to experience eternal suffering. His plan for you was relationship with Him. Still is. He wants you. So badly that He made significant sacrifices on our behalf. You see, He didn't just sacrifice His life on the cross. I mean, that's the one that we talk about a lot, and it's important, and we need to talk about that. But he made a sacrifice moving from eternity to time. Like he entered our world. We had the creator of all things entering in and becoming like his creation. That's massive. And so his desire for you was so strong that he came and he lived among us. His desire was so strong that he sacrificed his life for us. His desire for you is so strong that he waits He didn't want anyone, anyone to perish, but for all to come into a saving knowledge of His Son. So why wait? 
So here's the action item for you. Stop waiting. For the believer, offer forgiveness. For the non-believer, receive it. Receive the forgiveness that Jesus has for you and enter into a relationship with him. I promise you it's not going to make your life necessarily better. But it is an amazing ride. And I suggest that it makes you better at life. It won't make your life better, but it'll make you better at life. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Jesus, that man, we just get a grasp on what it means to be just like you. And to, in this particular context, Lord, like to forgive like you forgave. You're our high priest. And yeah, that's not a language we use anymore. It's not a concept that we fully understand. But we understand forgiveness. We understand that, that we can forgive for the things that people know that they've done and, and we can receive forgiveness for the things that we know we've done. Lord, help us understand the concept of forgiving the things that we didn't realize we had done and help us to forgive those who also maybe sinned against us unknowingly. May we forgive the things that are known and the things that are unknown. And Lord, for the person who is watching, who's taking this in right now, who isn't a follower of you. Then, Lord God, I ask that you will help them to understand that your desire for them is so strong that you came from heaven to earth. You move from eternity to that which is temporary. You live life among us and you allowed your creation to take your life because you loved us that much. Would you help all of us to move in the direction of understanding that deeper and better. And for the person who wants to receive you, then just pray this with me. Jesus, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer about the things I know and the things that I don't know. And I receive your forgiveness today. And because you forgave me, I want to follow you and I want to become just like you. I want to love like you. I want to forgive like you. I want to offer grace like you. I want to live like you because I know that that is life to the fullest. Would you help me to do that? In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. And hey, if you did make a decision for Jesus today, if it's a first-time decision or if it's a rededication decision, then let us know in some way so that we can encourage you and just walk with you in the steps forward that you're making in life.